0: you
1: mute. Hey, guys, this is Ashley, and this is my co-host, Sean Hickman. And this is the Liberty Roundtable, where four panelists from all political backgrounds discuss our Hot Topic of the Month. And I apologize for the delays, but obviously we're on Muddy Water Media, so I don't need to explain.
2: And we'll be hosting the Liberty Roundtable once a month here on Muddy Water Media Uh, We're going to release our topic and panel list prior to the airing date. That will allow anchor call-ins with your questions for the panel pertaining to the topic. Uh, Our topic tonight in lieu of current events is foreign policy and non-intervention.
1: At the end of our show, we will discuss the territorial aspect of the Liberty Roundtable. But let's jump right in and meet our panel. We have David Lilly, the host of Pardon Will podcast.
2: Cajun Libertarian of the Cajun Libertarian podcast, and from Igloos to Bayous, right here on Muddied Water Media.
1: And Bootleg Libertarian
2: from Not A Real Libertarian Network. hey And the 2020 Libertarian Vice President candidate and Muddy Water Media host, Spike Cohen. How is our panel doing tonight?
3: We're good, thank you. Good, good to go. Doing well.
1: Well, let's jump right into it. Our topic tonight is foreign policy and non intervention. Panel, here we are 20 years after the tragic events of September 11. What have we learned in the last two decades waging the war on terror? We'd like to hear from ECV. Chris, what are your thoughts?
4: Uh, 20 years, uh, we've learned an awful lot about our own government um, from the lengths of which they're willing to go to. To cover a narrative, um, but as far as foreign policy, I don't think we've learned anything new. Um, <clears throat> we've learned the the same things we've always known: is that the more involved we get, the worse it the worse it becomes uh, long term. Um, you look in Afghanistan after twenty years. That's that's what I that's where I'll stop with that.
2: How about you, uh, Cajun? Uh, what, what what would you add to that?
3: Um, I would say as, as a citizenry, right, not somebody who is a part of the upper echelon of the power apparatus that is our government, military, industrial complex. If you look back to the language of when this war first started, it was all centered on the idea that we were not in the business of nation building. And then we immediately got into the, na- the business of nation building. So what they do is they lie and they set a precedent and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And then they just go off and do the exact same thing that they said that they weren't going to do. And here we are, 20 years later, we've given Afghanistan back to the Taliban. We've lost far more American lives than we did on 9-11 just from being in Afghanistan. And so what have we learned? We've learned that we've wasted many lives and we've wasted trillions of dollars to effectively change nothing but kill a couple of terrorists that, uh, that may or may have not had an impact on us at all. Well said. David, how about you? What would you add to that?
5: um I, I think I think when it comes to the government learning its lesson i don't i don't know if that technically has happened, but I definitely think the citizenry has definitely learned a ton over the last twenty years i think I think the examples um that we've we've gotten just watching our full impostity over i mean in the last ten says a lot about um people starting to wake up and realizing our our play in the world and, and our role yeah. so i think I think the citizenry has definitely learned a lot more than they did I think the average American probably has a little bit more on. Uh, A little bit more knowledge on foreign policy than they did 15, maybe 20, 20, definitely 30 years ago. That's that's what I'll say.
0: Spike, what would you add to that? So it's like like David just said, I don't think government's going to learn its lesson. And I don't think government's going to learn its lesson because it's stupid. It's because government knew what this would be and what this would do. Uh, the invasion of Afghanistan and certainly the invasion of Iraq and the entire war on terror has absolutely nothing to do with Al Qaeda or 9-11. They were just looking for the first pretext that they could possibly find to do all of those things uh, and to do continue on with the things that they're continuing to do. Uh, not just the, the wars overseas in Afghanistan, but also the Patriot Act and all the, I know we're focusing on foreign policy, but all of the draconian and tyrannical and oppressive things that they did in response to, ostensibly in response to 9-11, they knew full well it would never be used for for you know to actually stop the terrorists uh, that that wasn't what was going to happen. And, and whether you buy the the narrative of uh you know that the government was involved in 9-11 or knew it was going to happen and did nothing, or if you buy their official narrative, which is that terrorists who were upset of uh, about decades of US imperialist foreign policy and who saw an opportunity to attack Americans and make them feel that pain even if that the accepted official version is what's true then that just drives home the fact that this imperial war policy will lead to that backlash and, and will cause that to happen. Specific to Afghanistan, what did we learn? I can tell you, I started, who started as a neocon shortly, really in the events of 9-11 and who completely cheerled everything that was going on in Afghanistan and elsewhere for several years. I watched what older people and, and wiser people than me told me would happen, that we would find out all the lies that led to us going there, that we would find out that there was no need to have gone there in the first place. And that even if there was, that the way it was done was done poorly, intentionally so, and that we would probably end up just leaving the Taliban stronger, better armed, better equipped, better funded. And lo and behold, that's exactly what has happened. And, uh, you know, this is what this is what government does with everything. Either create a crisis or make it worse or just you know stand by uh, befuddled while it happens. Use the existence of that crisis to push for more control, more wars, more powers, more taxes, more debt spending, more bailouts, more everything, and make you pay for it in every way that they possibly can. When that fails or makes it worse, grandstand on the suffering that it creates and push for even more control. I know I've talked more than everyone else, but that's basically, that's what I get from Afghanistan.
2: Oh, boy. Thank you for that. Um, The other question that I have here is uh, the decision to pass the AUMF in 2001, giving war powers to the president, it's still in place. And considering that the AUMF from 1957 is still in place, is there any hope of repealing this ever? Spike, why don't you take the first crack at that?
0: Not while Republicans and Democrats are in charge. Because we saw the anti-war left, right? The, the strongest anti-war movement we saw during the Bush years, which was entirely a, a, a fiction. It was a way of, they knew that there would be people that would be against the wars. And they had to give them a space to feel like they were fighting back against it. And so what did they do? They took all of that momentum and pushed it behind John Kerry, one of the most pro-war senators in the Senate who voted against Iraq before he voted or voted for Iraq, the war in Iraq before he voted against it. Nonsense. But that was what they did. That was the strongest. That was the high watermark for the the, uh, anti-war movement. And it was completely co-opted in a similar way that the uh, the, the Movement for Police uh, Accountability was co-opted last year, but anyway, uh, that co-opted into supporting people who were 100% behind the thing that they were protesting against, and they knew it. So, you know, going back to, you know, the question of the AUMF, you're going to get rope-a-doped until you stop accepting it. The con ends when we stop getting conned. The only party or parties that I know of that have any real... Um, any real uh, uh, um, uh, organizational ability are the Libertarian Party and to a lesser extent, the Green Party. They're the only ones that are always anti-war. They don't pretend to be anti-war if that's politically popular. They don't play the good cop, bad cop routine. Uh, with the other party while they work together to screw us all over and pretend that they're that they're worst of enemies when they're best of friends. It's not going to happen with the Republicans in charge. It's going to take sweeping the deck and putting people in who in all ways respect the fact that you own yourself that you shouldn't have these things imposed upon you, that your loved ones shouldn't be sent overseas to fight to kill and die for terror groups and foreign dictators and central bankers and 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 uh, and the crony businesses, the military industrial complex, that that only will end when we get rid of people who are okay with that. So and when that happens, yes, then we'll get rid of all the AUMFs at once.
3: Awesome. Hey guys,
1: I'm hoping you can at least hear my audio. Um, my video yes. is totally prepped out, but Chris, let me hear from you on the AUMF
4: yeah on the AUMF and I was actually just pulling up the the actual uh bill right here the problem is this the problem with this AUMF is the same problem we have with all government bills anything um it's so incredibly vague I'll read the exact wording here um it's in section two and it says that the president is authorized to use all necessary and appropriate uh force against these those nations organizations or persons he determines planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11, 2001, and with that wording alone, you could determine that Somali pirates had something to do with uh, 9/11. So, do we invade Somalia again? Um, it's so vague. Do we do we assume that the Chinese had something to do with it? Do we invade China next? The problem is, is the 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 verbiage that is used by the federal government is so vague intentionally that they can they can they can justify whatever means they want to um i mean by that that definition you could say that the russians had aided uh in afghanistan while we were there so therefore we should invade russia we should go to war with russia by that pure definition right the taliban we went after the taliban because they they aided uh al-qaeda who aided who was you know uh bin laden was in charge of al-qaeda who was being aided by the taliban well the russians aided the taliban it, it never ends it's a continuous cycle they find these these or these these you know they create these vagities i shouldn't even say they find them they create these vagaries and use them against the detriment of the united uh, the citizens of the united states and the world so the problem becomes once again uh, we have to start holding people accountable for the words that they use in this legislation um, and no, it will never be repealed for the same this very simple reason that we had three presidents come and go through entire terms uh, that used it to to do whatever bidding they want. Obama used it in Syria, uh, uh, Libya. I mean, any you pick a nation that has a, a GDP that's lower than most US states, and that's where we could use it. That's where that's exactly where they'll use it. and they'll use it to make their friends and themselves rich.
1: Noelle,
3: what are your thoughts on the AUMF? Uh, no chance. No chance it gets repealed. Like like Spike said, not with the duopoly in charge. I give you just a little validation towards that. As long as politicians are being paid by lobby lobbyists, corporatists, and defense contractors and weapons contractors, no chance. None. And it's vague for a reason. Like Chris says vague for a reason. There's a reason. If you go look at the White House definition of what de- domestic terrorism is, it's not defined. It's not defined so keep paying attention to that because that's raining down soon as they start labeling everybody that's just not uh gonna fall right in line with their language of domestic terrorists it's vague for a reason and no as long as they're getting paid by defense contractors and weapons contractors no chance none
1: david do you think the very vague AUMF will be repealed
5: um yeah i'm kind of with everybody in this boat i don't think it will um i think it i definitely don't think it will on on a certain I think, I think when it comes to the American people, this idea—I mean, should it be repealed? Uh, repealed? Then absolutely. But I think, I think once you let the genie out of the bottle, and we all say this, like we all know this this concept. Once you give the government this particular authority, the chances of getting that back are slim to none, if anything. Right. Um, and so, but there's something else about that. I don't know if, I don't know if the majority of Americans want that. I understand that they don't like war, but I don't know if they. I don't know, because the the tactic of of having this in place is the idea of fear. Like, we all know this. We all saw the TSA, like, being inducted with the Patriot Act, and now you can't go on a plane unless you take your shoes off. These are things that people feel, I mean, whether or not it's theater or not, they feel comfortable with it. And so the AUMF is a little bit of a warm blanket um, to Americans when they go, well, you know, there's a terrorist around every corner. And if, if that hasn't hyped up in the last 20 years, I don't know what has, because the only thing that we've really gotten out of this government is you should be afraid. Like you should be afraid because there's a boogeyman behind everything and there's always going to be a boogeyman. And then if we don't stop yeah. this one boogeyman and then when we do um, mission accomplished, Oh, Hey, there's another one. And so yeah. um, is it going to be repealed? Most likely not. Do, do Americans want it to be repealed? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the average American understands that concept of being, I mean, cause what is the risk if it does, what all of a sudden could our art. I mean, I know I'm going long, but the world has gotten bigger, not because it's, Gradually in size, but because the internet's around, and so information's gotten a little bit more drastic. We get, we we have the world inside of our hands and our pockets. So when it comes to threats, threats are immediate. It doesn't take you know three months for the king to send a decree of threat over boat. We we know threats that happen automatically. And so when it comes to like we need to sit down and have a discussion on whether or not this threat is something liable, or whether or not this this terrorist is actually going to act on that. Um, People know that there has to be action moved as quick as the Internet does. And so when you have a president who has that authority in their arms, people, I think, feel safe of going, well, you know, as soon as something happens, we can drop the ball and go. And we got troops there now because we don't have to wait for Congress to sit down and and discuss this over time. Or we don't have to wait for a vote from Americans because we need to act now. I think most Americans like that, unfortunately. I I definitely think so. I'm sorry I went long.
1: No, that was great, David. Um, Here's our next question. Bringing home the troops is something many Americans have desired. The current administration turned the withdrawal from Afghanistan into a complete disaster. How could that have been done effectively? Do you want to take this one, Chris?
4: Yeah, I can take this one. And I think I'll have the dissenting opinion maybe um, on this. I don't think it would have mattered what administration was in power i don't think it would have mattered um who you put in charge of what i don't think the federal government would has the capacity to have done this withdrawal uh appropriately i don't um the way the military operates it takes 32 signatures to issue a pin um it's it's bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy um so when you need 36 people to sign off on you walking out of a door um two things happen either one you do it quick and overnight and it's it's a mess or two it takes about 18 months to do it and in which case uh things still happen but it's much slower speed um instead of all of it at once you get it over the course of 18 months um it slower might have been more efficient um and it might have saved lives but honestly i don't i don't think so i think uh maybe pulling the bandaid off was the most effective way to go Mm -hmm. through it. But uh, there's, there's no, there's no administration that I could think of uh, that would have been able to successfully do it without leaving people behind. Um, uh, That's just, that's the, 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 the dirty truth of it. Um, The military is so ineffective at a lot of things it does outside of killing uh, people that, it, it just it doesn't know how to withdraw it, it's been at war for 20 years it's we, the u.s military has in effect uh, has effectively been at war since two world war ii um now the u.n doesn't actually recognize that we've been at war since world war ii but we have es- essentially been off and on at war since world war ii and the government doesn't the military doesn't know how to stand down. it doesn't know how to back down it knows one speed and that's go in kill everybody flatten everything and leave uh, but the problem is is the leaving part takes about 20 years and they've still not figured that part out yet.
2: David, what do you think?
5: <clears throat> um, I, I I actually do I, I do I do disagree I think I think um, a toddler probably could have pulled out a little bit better. Um, I don't think it takes a lot I, I do agree with Chris. I think the bureaucracy behind the idea of military like they're good at one thing. They are good at one thing because they're trained to do one thing. But when it comes to pulling out, that's not the military's job. That's politics. Um, yes. are they good at pulling out? They're great at pulling out if they're commanded right. And so I think I think the ball has to the buck has to stop somewhere. And I know I know this is weird, but Biden did say the buck stopped with him, except for then he tossed it onto a ton of other people. <laughs> and so um that idea of being like, Well, could we have done it better? I, I mean, I'm an idiot. And I think if I would have put a little bit more thought, I might have been able to to pull it up, whether it was faster or slower, I think, I think there was something, there's something we don't know that we missed because if ripping the bandaid off, like either they assumed the Taliban was going to do it anyway. So we're like, well, let's just get out of there because this is going to be a mess regardless when we take our time or we don't because you know, the Afghanistan um, government's going to flee anyway. So what do we do? I mean, at least take your luggage with you. Don't leave it on the tarmac. Like there's um, burn it, burn the luggage what do you don't just leave it intact and so I I've got some strong feelings about that I think I think any anybody leaving one country would at least don't forget your 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 valuables behind it. and I think that's 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 where I'll be um, I don't have a lot to say on it but at least that one last one.
2: Spike we got a couple different opinions there um, what are your thoughts?
0: So I kind of agree. There there are fine people on both sides of this argument. No, I listen, the, the, uh, here's what I'll say. Is there a better way to do it? Yeah, of course there was like, so I was I've been asked, you know, oh, cuz I've I've criticized Biden and how he did this. And people were like, "Oh, well what would you have done?" And I'm like, "Well, that's easy. First, I would have ordered the CIA and State Department to stop funding and giving guns to ISK in northern Afghanistan and to the Haqqani network in Kabul. I would have told them stop arming the terrorists who when we leave are going to try to keep us there by blowing people up and trying to force a situation where we stay there cuz their whole bread and butter and lifeblood is us being there forever." So why are you giving them weapons? Stop. They're not going to fight the Taliban, at least not until long after we've left. Stop that. Okay, so cut that out. Next thing we do is I would have immediately, even before I was in office, before I was even inaugurated, I would have already been talking with people about, listen, we have a May deadline that Trump and the Taliban have negotiated out. We're sticking with that we're not going to unilaterally tell the Taliban oh yeah you know that uh, agreement that we spent months working on years working on now nah, that we're just gonna unilaterally stay for another four months because that made them antsy and made them not wait till September and that's why they started you know going in and 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 taking over from the Afghan National Army the other thing I would have done is acknowledge that the Afghan National Army was no such thing it was uh it was a, a group of people that were getting a paycheck from the. US taxpayer and the minute that stopped they all put their Taliban hats back on and said, now we're the Taliban, like, or, or if they weren't Taliban, they just, I mean, there were a handful of people that fought back. And that was it. Like there there was no army there and everyone knew that. I've talked to people who were literally grunts on the ground, who came back and said, the ANA is a joke. They're not going to be able to do a thing. If they knew it, the experts knew it. So they knew that. The next thing I would have done is begin immediately processing for American civilians first to be coming home and for our Afghan allies to to be able to come. Uh, I would have taken the governor of Guam up on his offer to do what we did during Vietnam, put all of the foreign nationals that were processing for asylum into Guam, let them stay there process them and if they if they're allowed to be come to the mainland some of them might stay in guam like many of the vietnamese ended up doing and uh they could and and do that when you do just those things literally just that now you've gotten rid of all of the tension that led to the Taliban takeover. I would also be talking with the Taliban saying, listen, we have to stick with May and we want to stick with May. The only way we're going to stick with May is if there isn't any kind of bloodshed or anything that happens. That's the only kind of push pushback I'm going to get. Let me let us go. We're getting the civilians out first, then we're leaving and then you do whatever you're going to do. We know the A is a joke just as much as you do. That's what we're going to do. I'm not a genius okay i'm a pretty smart guy i came up with that just looking at it now is the military actually capable of doing that is a bureaucracy that is as big and unwieldy multi trillion dollar organization like the pentagon that is run by the idiots in congress and in the white house are they capable of actually doing something that isn't so fucking stupid that they literally gave a list of the names of the people they didn't want terrorists to kill to the Taliban. No, they're not going to do it because they're morons or they're either morons or they're complicit. They want those things to happen because if those things happen, then that's an excuse to stay. That's an excuse to drone bomb a family and make more people join ISK and the Taliban and Al Qaeda who then attack US interests in Afghanistan and other countries, which we then use as an excuse to continue attacking them or they're idiots. They're either in on it or idiots either way. No, I don't think they're capable of doing it. Could it have been done better? Yes. It also shouldn't have been done in the first damn place, which was just a Stupid is the way that they left.
2: Cajun. Uh,
3: most mostly gonna have to agree with pretty much everybody here. Um, I think a toddler could have done this job better. The question is, how could the withdrawal of troops been done effectively? Uh, that that's that's not a, that's not an answer. It could not have been done effectively to Chris's point. Could it have been done more effectively? Hell yes. Way more. Let's just look at the fact that we haven't lost an American troop in Afghanistan in war since December, uh, February of 2020. We had a skeleton group of Marines there, 2,500, who hadn't been in combat, who hadn't lost their lives. So why the hell are we pulling out the Marines before we pull out the damn civilians? Sorry, that. that okay, I'm keep my freaking strapped armed Marines over there. Get the civilians and the Afghan allies out. Then you leave. The sequence of events is very common sense. The fact that they didn't, if they were either complicit, moronic, or both, is absolutely on the table. And I'm going to go with both. They're both moronic and complicit. Because it's <laughs> how ineffective and stupid that they run the government. So stupid that you pull out a group of Marines who had the entire country locked down without a death. You take them out first, and then you try to get the people. It's, 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 no. Uh, it's just, yes, it could have been done much more effectively. We probably could have lost no lives at the end of August there, potentially. Potentially, and we still could have. If even if it took a little longer, but we, I think, I'm with Spike. May one, man, we had you. The day you knew you were running for office, you should have been talking about this. Every president would have done this. Hey, look, we got Afghanistan right. That's our first order of business. Afghanistan and COVID. We need to deal with these two things, and we need, we have a May one deadline. We need to get all of our American allies and all of our Americans out, and then we'll pull our troops out no later than May one and be done with it. It's
0: but may, may I say one? I want to say I, I want to say because I actually ran. I didn't run for president. I ran for vice president. I remember being on a bus with you know Jorgensen Cohen on it and going around the country. And when I'd get asked about Afghanistan, I'd say yeah. largely what I just said. But the one thing I kept saying, by the time that that May deadline was set, and I forget when that was, I would say we already have a deadline. Whoever is getting elected needs to already have a plan to get him out. Here is something like what it would look like for us, and it was a, a little bit less detailed than what I just said because I, at the time, I didn't know about the Haqqani network. I did know that the CIA, at least as recently as 2018, was giving uh, literal pallets of guns to I, uh, ISIS, which is now ISK. Um, but th- the point of all that is, like, like Noel said literally if you are running for this office you needed to already have a game plan and it didn't need to be 6000 pages long it could be as simple as work to get the civilians out cuz you already have a deadline let the taliban know that's what your plan is and that you want it to go as smoothly as possible stop funding the damn terrorists and get people out of there and then they can leave and 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 yes there was there was probably going to be an attack at that moment when you know the final people are leaving, there was gonna be someone that was gonna take advantage of that. But you can try to reduce the amount of, of ancillary damage that happens as a result of it, the number of lives lost, the number of of, of you know proper amount of property destroyed and everything else. You can reduce that by getting the soft targets out and then have the other people backing out at the end. And and you don't have to be a military expert to say that.
5: You can also you could also reduce the amount of people clinging to the side of a plane on the way out as well. Yes.
4: Preferably yeah, to, to, fair, to they zero. Did ask, they did ask uh, the Taliban to pretty please not destroy our embassy. So, I mean, they, they said, please. Uh, so, I mean, it's not our fault at that point. Literally. Yeah. Here's the names of the terrorists. people there.
0: Here's the people. They, oh, they, oh, they, oh, they beyond <laughs> negotiated with terrorists. Keep in mind, whenever we talk, we, we got so used to talking about the CIA giving and the State Department and, and sometimes the Pentagon giving money and training and weapons to terrorists. Remember that AUMF that Chris read that said that the president can attack anyone who had anything to do with 9-11? What happens if you give uh, millions of dollars worth of guns and uh, and uh, advanced weaponry and training and actual money to the people who are part of the terrorist network that carried out 9-11? that would be called uh, they would be one of those people that should be attacked what if they are the ones who were the ones supposed to do it that's called treason
4: didn't didn't they find like they did some report that in syria like five out of seven uh syrian nationals that we were training actually turned out to be isis uh, can you and imagine what we each did other. in 20 years in afghanistan <laughs> it's insane. Five out of seven
2: switching gears ever so slightly here uh, there's been a shift in foreign policy priorities with a strong emphasis now on China. Let Leave this as open-ended as you want. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Cajun. Uh, what do we do with China?
3: Wow, that's a web of snakes that I don't even know how to approach. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with China. Uh, they, they, they've already begun. Uh, I think they were the first nation to recognize the Taliban as a legitimate government in Afghanistan. They're already creating uh, resources and pipelines into the country. Uh, uh, what do you do with China other than go to war with them at this point? You have to negotiate. You have to continue to negotiate. You have to continue to try to ask them to not do the things that we see coming. Uh, uh, you could do the Trump thing and just add tariffs everywhere. That, that obviously didn't help. No. So I, I I don't have an answer for that. That that's uh, that's complicated. That's complicated on so many. In what what in what avenue? Like right. What 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 scenarios? What are we, we going to do about China, Noel? Which which part of the relationship with China do we need to address? Because the the relationship as a whole, I don't I don't know how to th- I don't know how to answer that.
0: Sean, you're on mute.
3: Sorry, I'm going to give you a specific scenario,
0: and this this is for everyone.
3: If
2: if Taiwan gets invaded. Um, how does the U.S. respond?
3: Yeah, I think uh, I think you need to stay out of it. I don't know what other answer if we're anti interventionism. We're either we're either anti interventionism or we're pro world police. Right. I hate giving binary options there, but that, that's a, are there any other options from somebody who knows more about it than I? Do? I, I you're either going to go and get in between it or you're going to stay the hell out of it. That, I
1: don't know. David, what are your thoughts?
5: Um, my thoughts kind of lead into more thoughts. And so I'm trying not to not to jump too far ahead. I, um, I think I disagree with Cajun. I think I know everyone on this panel is uh, not individualism or individualist, And I, I have a tendency to to think on a little bit different. Scales. Do you go to war with Taiwan or do you go to war with China over Taiwan? Maybe not. But do you invest in other countries who might want to? Can you do that? Because what China is doing, from my understanding, I'm 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 like a a I'm like what Biden says a, a normal Joe, you know, like I'm I'm just a normal guy. And even I can tell the idea that even China is pouring into countries that can't pay them back. So they're building airports and building these things on countries that don't have the wealth the the income to be actually pay them back. So what they're doing is they're basically creating a credit card system for these companies. saying, you know, pay us back, just you know, eventually, and then then they owe. And so. In this sense of being like, well, China can do these things, they can build pipelines, they can build airports, they're actually investing in countries that can't really return. So basically what they return is a little bit of fealty because now China owns an airport in your country. And so when it says, well, let's just leave China alone and let them do their thing. In 10 years, China will own half the world and America is just gonna be just rocking and rolling. So either one, we really look into defense when it comes to military, or we look into how to invest in other countries that isn't nation building. Investments. We don't have to take advantage of countries, um, but we need to play the smart game. There's a there's an analogy. You never wrestle an alligator in water, um, because that's their home. So if you're gonna play China's game, um play it smart. And we're gonna have to play China's game because China's playing a game, and if we just you know, if I think of it like a chessboard, this I mean, I know we're jumping into the next question, but non-interventionalism is saying that I'm sitting at a chessboard with another country or with multiple. Um, and my my thing is is to kind of keep my pawns all right here. You can't you can't attack them. Well, the other board is actually moving so if you pass on all your moves they're just getting closer and they're going to kill your king um they're going to take out the queen they're going to kill your king eventually so this the idea that we don't have to participate at our size now maybe if we were small maybe we were sweden or we were something like that not that this on sweden but um america regardless of what we want it to be or not is a bit of an empire because we kind of fell into that because freedom leads to those things so if we're going to play this card, if we're going to have this empire, we need, to, we need to do it, one, altruistically, and we need to do it smart. We have to think ahead. And so I understand China is doing their thing, and I don't want to go to war with China over Taiwan. Um, but I also, I don't like that. I, I mean, China is probably going to be mad at me if they know who I am. But um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't let people just move their pawns all over the board without me, me planning something out. And so that's, that's my point. I don't know if that was too long or even made sense.
1: No, that's great. David. I don't think Thank we're,
0: you. yeah, I don't think we're worried about time limits. So everyone should take the time to say what they need to say.
1: No, we are from all political sides and we want to hear everything you guys have to say. The point of the Liberty Roundtable is to get your guys' voices out there. And I've been saying this for a while to cross pollinate so that your followers see other people and get those opinions out there. Um, Spike, how should we play the game with China?
0: I want um chris to be able to answer first because i feel like i'm about to scorch the earth and i wouldn't want anyone to have to speak after me so i'm gonna i, I just i feel it coming and i just want to give chris a chance because i'm just gonna it's gonna be so
4: go go ahead uh I, I will live in your shadow sir
0: okay so here here's my my take on china First of all, the sheer gall that China has to, uh, you know, create all this infrastructure in poor countries and then use it as leverage and credit against them to then basically, essentially take over those countries and their economy and to build the to build uh, an entire infrastructure network that is built around uh, lending uh, money to other countries and extracting their resources while at the same time building up their military and engaging in jingoism through their uh, their state-run and chartered media with their population. Who the hell do they think they are? Us since World War II? Every single day since World War II? Here, here's the, the fact, guys. When we talk about China being aggressive in the South China Sea, it's named after them. Can you imagine if Puerto Rico and this has happened before, if Puerto Rico decided tomorrow, no, we are our own country and we're taking all the assets that were uh, erstwhile American assets and we're asserting ourselves, and we're going to form a military that we're going to get funding from the Chinese government to create a military that we could have otherwise never had to defend us against the invasion of the U.S. government that has been exerting itself over uh, over Puerto Rico with a slight difference there. Because in the case of Taiwan, that was always a part of the, the greater China. Whereas in the case of Puerto Rico, we actually did take that after the Spanish American war, but let it's not a perfect comparison. It's actually less charitable to us, but let's, let's use the, the comparison. It's actually more charitable to us. Uh, the, uh, so we go and we say, no, 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 no. Puerto Rico is part of the United States and, and always has been. And the Chinese government, basically creates a a military force there and is kind of vague on whether they'll get involved. But at the same time, they and the rest of the Eastern media or Western media is constantly talking about how the US government is being just so damn aggressive in the Gulf of Mexico. That's what's happening there right now. Now, China is a threat. From many other standpoints, I don't see them as a military threat because I think I hope that the Chinese people, who think in much longer eras than uh, we tend to, we think in TikTok time, and they think in you know eons. I would think that they have looked at the poison chalice that is empire and thought to themselves, maybe we should avoid that part. Now, if they haven't, good for them. They can be the next ones to suffer under crushing debt and misery for decades and generations as a result, if they'd like to, I'd like to take a break from that. But if they don't want, but I'm going to assume that they don't want to, but they are a threat here. And here's why. They are a threat in terms of the fact that they are exerting their political force in things like entertainment, even in other countries to force uh, companies that want to do business there uh, to not say anything bad about China, even in the US or in foreign countries, or else they aren't allowed to do business there. They are leveraging our corporatist system to make everyone be nice to them. Again, our fault. They're using our corporatist system. It's our fault Disney's so damn big. It's our fault Viacom is so damn big. It's our fault that all of our media is run by six or seven corporations. That is what the Federal Reserve and the US Code of Taxes and the corporate system in this country has wrought. And they're just leveraging it. So, but here's another big problem from that corporatism. Why is China so damn rich? Because for the past two generations, government and cronies have made it increasingly unaffordable to the point of being cost prohibitive to make things in America, to hire Americans, and to do business directly in America, not just here, but other countries as well. And why? Because they wanted to destroy their smaller competitors and then move their base of operations because only they could afford to do it and make relationships with dictatorial regimes like China in other countries and use sweatshop labor to make the things with no concern for the environment, which is why so much of the greenhouse gas output is coming from China. That's American and Western corporations doing the business over there. And for all the environmentalists who thought that that was a big win from, from your environmental agencies, that's why it's happening over there. And then what do they do? They use our military to protect their shipments of the stuff that they took our jobs to go and have them made over here to bring it back here to be bought by the American consumer who, for the most part, doesn't understand the swindle that just happened. And then you have one side that says that's perfectly fine. And you have another side that says, no, that's terrible. We're going to tax it. We're going to put tariffs on that so that the American consumer paying even more for that. And not just that, the if you are a company that's making a durable good or service here in the United States, and you know that you can either make your air conditioner or your refrigerator or your car here in the United States and pay this much more for every damn product you need to be able to make it, steel, uh, uh, microprocessors. Uh, any of the kind of materials, aluminum, even uh, uh, soft lumber, any of the things that you need, you're going to pay this damn tariff on it, or you just move to Canada. And not only do you pay a lower corporate tax rate, but now you don't pay that tariff anymore. Now even more jobs are gone while Americans are paying that tax. That is what you have been provided by Republicans and Democrats. And China has been laughing all the way to the bank for it. Now, in the same way that I don't want to hear a single damn thing about fighting the war on terrorism while the CIA is arming terrorists and is the main armor and trainer and funder of terrorism and genocide around the world from those very terrorist groups which if any of us gave them a freaking nickel, we'd be in jail for treason or for conspiring with the enemy or whatever the charge is. They're, giving, they're robbing us to pay for it. I don't wanna hear a damn thing about the war on terror until that ends. I don't wanna hear a damn thing about addressing China while the corporatist regulatory burdensome system that has been placed here is the direct result of why they have so much power, why they have so much money, why they have so many jobs in the first place. Dismantle all of that. Make it so that American labor can be affordable again, so that American labor is desirable again, because now that leads to the problem of Americans not wanting, no one wants to hire them. We've only recently started having job issues because they told everyone to stay home. Prior to that, good luck getting a good job. Why? Supply and demand. The demand for American labor was super low because it was way cheaper elsewhere, and therefore the supply of Americans looking for a decent job was super high. That's a glut. Remove all of that and you fixed all of the problems related to joblessness and poverty and all the ancillary social things that come from that addiction, abuse, spousal abuse, suicide, mental health issues, uh, educational issues, uh, issues of marginalization of poor people. Get rid of all that shit. And now. You fixed that problem, but the other problem that you fixed is that now you don't have China and other dictatorial regimes making tens of trillions of dollars on the backs of what should have been able to be American labor. And that's not nationalism. Trade with whoever you want, make it wherever you want to, but stop making, stop putting your thumb on the scale so it can't be done here because we deserve that. I shouldn't say we deserve that because we're being robbed for it. The situation that we have is as a direct result of the crony system that has been imposed at every aspect starting here, and they're just leveraging it. So, no, we shouldn't get involved in Taiwan. If, uh, if an American wants to go there and fight for Taiwan, then go and fight for Taiwan and we should remove any restrictions on anyone who wants to go and fight for damn Taiwan. Go fight for Taiwan. Go fight for Hong Kong for that matter. Remove Proposition Proposition 6867 so that Cuban Americans can go and help the Cuban people without risking being arrested and put in prison by the Coast Guard. Get rid of that. Get rid of all these things and let people be free to do what they want. And when you do that, you will watch these dictatorships fall apart, and implode because they're built on the nonsense right from here.
4: What he said. uh, (laughs) After a speech like that, you should all go check your fire extinguishers uh, because that shit was straight fire. Um,
2: Chris, do you have anything to follow that up with?
4: Yeah, (laughs) I do. I feel
2: bad.
0: I feel bad now.
4: Ah. See, he does this all the time. Like, that's the entire party, is what Spike Cohen says. And then there's like us who like have to try and say things, and we're like, eh, you know, legalize weed. Um, But no. (laughs) But uh, in all seriousness, uh, seriousness, um, my stance would be yeah, the federal government should not be getting involved in uh, the affairs of China. They. They suck at our affairs. Why do we think that they should be involved <laughs> with any other nation? Um, and I think honestly, and here's the one thing uh, I think that um, we should really look for, like, focus on, like, for uh, long term is repealing the ITAR, which is the International uh, international Traffic and Arms Regulations. So it basically regulates the arms and munitions we bring in and out of the country, Um, and the one thing I would guarantee you that the United States, uh, like, and I'll promise this, like, I will throw any amount of money in this. The United States is far superior at manufacturing firearms than any other nation in the world, mostly because more Americans buy guns than the entirety of the rest of the world, right? Like there's, there's entire nations with militaries with like our military didn't have as many firearms as the American uh, civilian does. Um, close. So if if, what what we can do is go back to the old school method of where the civilian market makes firearms and then the military is like, hey, we like that. We're going to buy some of those. Well, what can happen then is Taiwan can say, holy crap, those Americans, you see that new machine gun they rolled out last week? We're going to buy 20,000 of those and they're going to have the dopest machine guns they could ever buy because... Now it's not regulated by the ITAR and they can buy whatever they want to. Americans can buy whatever they want to. Um, Japan is not a poor country by any means. Who do you think is watching China the closest? Uh, because there's this little thing that happened during World War II and there's this massive genocide between, from Japan into China. They unleashed biological weapons. They, cre- like they created the bubonic plague and turned it loose in uh, Chinese villages and cities. Who do you think is nervous right now the, the country over here on the other side of the ocean that we know for a fact that China cannot get to. Their aircraft carriers struggle to make it past Taiwan. If you bought anything from China, you know it's probably being held together by hopes and prayers and chopsticks, all right? So the fact that we think that we're in danger here in the United States by a bunch of guys from China, like, I'm doing that serious. Like, the Japanese at the pinnacle of their empire didn't want this smoke like they were forced to attack a single tiny island in the the uh, pacific what makes us think that china looked at that and said oh yeah we want that too yeah they might make it through california they ain't got no guns they've got like those goofy ars whatever but i guarantee you they make it to like arizona and further east they don't want that smoke they know that they know they don't they definitely don't want alaska are you kidding me Like two Alaskans take on the entire Chinese Navy and it's over. So what we need to do is win the long game by selling munitions to people uh, in the, the Asia Pacific region. Um, Let Hong Kong start buying stuff, start selling guns illegally into Hong Kong, start selling guns to Japan, start selling them to Taiwan because by God, I mean, they're going to want them. And, if they buy them from us, and we're not giving them the money to buy them like we do with Israel, we're making money off of this, and then Americans get better guns because now these companies that have sold these arms and munitions are have money for R and D. So it, it worked. It's it's a it's a literal free market solution to solving this problem. Yeah, maybe Taiwan loses, but that's not that's not something I'm supposed to be willing to spend another 20 years and the life of my son to go fight another damn war that nobody wants if Taiwan's not willing to fight for themselves then why, sh- why the fuck should we I mean yeah. why should we sell them what we want to and if if they fail they fail that's tough love that's the way of the world that's what we did for the most part the early parts of World War One and World War II we were selling munitions why are we why do we care? Like, why do we care what China's going to do to us? Because they're not going to do shit. They're not. They've got nothing they can do. Thank you.
1: Well, you definitely uh, <laughs> can. Can I gasoline on that hey, fire?
5: Can I? Can I thanks, jump in? Thanks, thanks for coming to my gun talk.
1: <laughs> I knew you'd bring up guns.
5: Uh, can I? Can I talk to Chris real quick and uh Absolutely. As well? um, I I totally agree. I I think, but I think there is there's a few things. Um, I'll add to the conversation. Let's say I'm not gonna just disagree right off the bat. I think I think Chris is absolutely right. I think the fire that Spike came with um, is absolutely true. But we we also are, are talking about a particular kind of warfare. And when you say, like, what can China do? China, you know, they're they're not gonna get past Japan. China has actually already done a ton, but if we're looking at instead of just regular warfare, think of like fourth generational warfare, they have affected our culture to the point where John Cena is speaking Mandarin on TikTok. So there's there's something going on here. Leave China alone. What are they going to do? Let them take Taiwan? No, I don't think so. I don't. And when we saw this, when it came to the idea of Hong Kong, like we watched China plow over Hong Kong, what what do we do? I listened to an NPR thing where they're like, well, China's kind of racist towards Hong Kong's, but you know, equality. And it's like, what are, what are you talking about? Like they we 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 set that. It's the same thing with Afghanistan. You don't you don't prop someone up and then kick the ladder ladder out and say stand on your own for the most part. So Spike's right. Don't show up if you're not going to show up. That's my point. If you're going to show up and pretend like you're the the police of the world, then don't just leave mid beating. Don't go well. I signed him a ticket. Let him kill him. That's that's garbage. And that's not how government should go. So if you're going to play the card like America does play, then 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 remove the whole deck. Don't 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 pretend like well. Well, we're not going to we're not going to stand up for Taiwan, but we also are going to give make sure Disney complies like we need to pick a side because um, and I'm with everybody on this government's ruining this entire concept like there's something going on They're That's my thing. I don't think the US is going to invade China or not invade China, back up. China, I mean, back up Taiwan. I don't think they will because why would they? Why would they? Because we've helped China all the way down the line so far. Why would we stop them from taking... We didn't stop them from Hong Kong. Why would we? And so when people go, well, we should defend Taiwan, and everyone's going, no, let leave them. That's what the government's doing. That's what they're doing. So the, And I'm not one to just quickly... Whatever the government's doing, I'm kind of sketchy of, but I kind of am. So when the government goes, yeah, you know, think about Taiwan. That's kind of where our focus should be. But don't pay attention to Disney or Viacom or any of these other corporations. But yeah, Taiwan. We should we should show up with troops there. But nope. let's John Cena's cool. Let's just go with that. And so there's something wrong there. And that's that's all I'm saying. If if we're not gonna play the warfare, we don't want guns, we don't want people in boots on the ground, but we definitely need to pay attention to what we're giving China, like Spike said, like we're literally handing them everything. We're putting the, the thumb on the American citizens and their taxpayer money to make China do the thing they do best, which is figure out a way to even though they don't have a strong military figure out a way to get around and they have and and we're watching them do it and we're just sitting by going let taiwan you know what taiwan may you know china is actually west taiwan but who really cares they're the same thing um so is hong kong we just let that happen we're just gonna let this happen we're just gonna let it happen because if it happens in hong kong it's gonna happen to japan it's gonna happen further along so if we're not gonna play the warfare game let's try to play the cultural one and get all the americans going Hey, this whole thing that we you know the British left Hong Kong and they were like, Hey, you guys have freedoms now, but we're gonna give you back over to China and maybe maybe China will kind of uphold this thing, and then they didn't, and then we're going, but they will next time is is garbage. It's not it's not true. And I think they're at least if we're gonna play we we go cultural. Because I think that's the power move in this. Not that
0: you're it. a hundred you're 100% correct that we need to be playing the cultural game because that's what China, China has no interest in, in getting into asymmetrical warfare in the United States. Right. Like, I mean, you know, the 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 gun behind every blade of grass, it's times a thousand like that. I think uh, U.S. civilian gun owners uh, make up uh, if you combine them all together, make up more people and definitely more guns than like every military combined or some ridiculous statistic. Like that. you're talking about. tens. Yeah. Yeah. T- yeah. It's it's it's. Yeah, top the top ten militaries. You're talking like over a hundred million people with guns in their homeland, and we see how people fight when they're fighting for their homeland. You know, uh, yes, we have been made docile enough to let our government tell us whether we can go outside if we're vaccinated yet. But in terms of you know a foreign country coming in and fight between the U.S. military and the, and the, the just us the people they don't want that and they lose their biggest trading partner so it's just it's stupid for them to do it they're not going to do it what they're going to do is what they're continuing to do which is growing their their prestige using the money that you're, they're getting because of our stupid regulatory structures we have in this country on manufacturing and on basically all business you know all business um everything from you know people making cars down to people braiding hair is regulated to the point of absurdity where you either engage in the black market or just don't do it at all or become some ex- crony extension of, of, the, of the US government, um, of course, they're going to prosper in that. So I, I say it's two things. Number one is uh, is what David was talking about to, to an extent, that um, there needs to be, our focus needs to be, and this is not just the government, because the government sucks at everything. They're terrible. Um, us as Americans and us as a people who want to be free um, need to be talking about how you know, this is not freedom. This is not okay. And no, it's not, we're going to go and fight. But anyone who is having their rights and their lives infringed upon in this manner, like the people of, of, of China, the people of China are. Yes, the people of Hong Kong. Yes, the people of Taiwan, the people of China. Uh, you know, the way that they're being treated, the Uyghurs, everyone else, the way that they're everyone in that country is being treated. And, and in many countries like that, that that's wrong. And here's a better way to do it. And then here's step two, show them how to do it. Because... We're not free. Are we better off than them? Yes, we're seven years behind them. Uh, or if at the rate that Australia is going, if we start pacing like that, we're three years behind them, whatever. Great. You know, uh, we're implementing some, some shit here too. I mean, you look at the vaccine mandates they're talking about, which is going to become the next thing, the mandate, and they already have the the system in place. So let's show them what freedom is. Then we can actually talk like non-hypocrites about it when we're wagging our fingers at everyone. Um, and then the other part of that is again, defund it. Stop giving tens of trillions of dollars and tens of millions of jobs that would be well-paid people, possibly even union workers here, but definitely well-paid and well-compensated people with a gainful employment, and instead is sweatshop labor. It's not even like it's enriching them over there. I mean, yes, they have more of a middle class by their standard than they used to have, but it's not like they're getting, like the average Chinese person is getting rich. They do far better in a situation where we had free and open trade, both here and there, right? So- focus on that let's let's clean our own room first you know i I, i'm channeling jordan peterson don't go and do anything until you make your bed (laughs) like let's go and like fix our shit and fix these problems here and then a we actually have any business telling anyone else to do and b we'll have fixed a lot of the problems or at least greatly ameliorated the damage that's happening as a result of that
4: the other thing too is uh we if we want to win the culture war we show that how much better a free culture is than uh than china is and it's like it's like what spike was saying you know um i i want to i I want to say that it was china but there was a meeting at the u.n and the u.s had like been harassing china about how unfree their people are and then they brought up the well don't you cops beat people to death in the street for nothing and then the u.s ambassador had nothing to say what do you say with that you're like, well. Yeah, it's in the news. Now, to be fair, the Chinese authorities absolutely do that all the time, but they have oh, media yeah. blackout. But what we have to do is we have to show that we're better than that, Stop all these problems that we have and let Japan, who is right there close to them, because Japan's gonna side with us. like they they want our style of freedom over the authoritarian style of the Chinese, um, mostly because they are, like as I said before, scared of the Chinese but let them like leak out this information about how bad it is in China. Like they've been doing with the Uyghur Muslims and these things and show people the the entirety of the truth of what is going on in China, how bad it is to live there. And part of the problem is a law that's been swept under the rug by, as Spock had said earlier, the corporatism, you know, these companies don't want to advertise how bad it is there because they're like, well, we can't do business with China, but if there's none of this government control and there's none of those of systems of power that exist, these corporations will make money from Americans to show how bad it is in China. And that's how you win it. You show them that being genocided, being systematically murdered by a government is not a cool thing. And that's that I mean there's no group of Americans who I can I can possibly think of outside of some of the most radical racists that were like, yeah, that thing, the, the Uyghur Muslims in China, that was a great thing. Nobody's saying that. So if we can show more stuff like that without government control and let Japan start fuddling that stuff in, uh, and we sell them guns as a trade, I mean, I, I, I see the culture war winning. Yeah, but America. you
3: need, you, you need the, the media to cover kind of stuff, right? So the vast majority of mainstream, or not even mainstream media anymore, Internet really is mainstream media, but corporate media um, mostly ran by uh, the left and the Democrats for the most part. And Fox News is much better. They're not going to cover this stuff. They didn't cover the Uyghur stuff because they don't want the Biden administration to look bad. So it's hard to win a culture war when 60 to 65 percent of the country are not even realizing that there is an issue to be had there. And that, that that's a issue that's a big problem that I have. Yeah, we can cover it here in our sect as we do cover everything, criticize the both left and the right. But if if sixty percent of Americans don't even know what's happening with the Uyghurs and how oppressive the Chinese government is because they are supporting the Chinese government, then that's an impossible cultural war to win until we can break the barrier.
1: Well, guys, I'm gonna segue into our next question and I'm gonna add on to it as well. Um Let's talk about non-interventionism. It's already been brought up. Uh, The founders supported it, but after Pearl Harbor, it became very unpopular. Explain what non-interventionism is to you and why we should reconsider it, and then how uh, should we apply it to other countries uh, besides China and Afghanistan? Where else do we need this right now? David, do you want to take that one first?
5: I appreciate you putting me first. Um, that's fantastic because uh, I think I might have the only opinion where um, non-interventionalism sounds just doesn't sound doesn't sound nuanced enough to for us to play inside the world. So I'll start off. I I, I do like the idea of non-interventionism when it comes to a country, not just getting involved in other countries um, because of whatever you know military industrial complex, whatever money we can make from something like that. Um, but like I said earlier if we are an empire which we are regardless of whether we want to be or not um and we're on the stage playing the same game with all the other players to say that we're not going to play is is dumb now what we can do is think about how we play and so it's not just moving you know military around the world to to kind of get what our benefit is like what we want out of uh out of our pr- participation in the global um global situation with with everyone in in play i still think the idea that we don't I think non interventionism what most people want is we just don't want to start wars that we don't need to you know especially when it comes to like the AUMF where they're like well any terrorist well any terrorist i mean look at us now they're they're targeting americans um because grandma walked into the capitol and so there's some issues that we might have with that but but to completely remove ourselves and be isolationists in as far as country which i don't think anyone on this room may assume i'm just going drastic here um, to be isolationist and say, you know, America is only America, America first, and we're not going to pay attention to anything that's going on around us um, is dangerous because I think we have a responsibility, whether or not we wanted it or not. The power, I mean, to go Spider-Man on it, um, with this power, we have a responsibility. Now, what I do think is I think the government has squandered that responsibility and destroyed it and has not lived up to what they should have. And I think when the founding fathers were like, we're non-interventionalists, um, they also were kind of winking an eye at France who intervened to help independence come so whether they were like we don't want this to happen again so we don't want any other country to be interventionist so we want to pursue um, a global economy where n- no one is intervening in other countries i think they did that because they understood the idea of what was sacred that they had but they also used other countries to help them when their independence. so um it's a little bit of a gray area i'd like to hear what everyone else has to say about it i'm a little bit not sure how i personally feel about it and i think that's okay so um, let's hear what everyone else has to say. Chris, what do
2: you think?
4: So I'm going to say that non-interventionism is it, so I understand uh, my boy Teddy Roosevelt was uh, an isolationist, but I love the 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 ideology of speak softly carry a big stick, right? it's the it's the idea that we can talk to you. But if you mess with us, we will defend ourselves. Um, it's, it's not we carry, uh, you know, uh, what is it? 48 nuclear powered, uh, you know, aircraft carriers and we patrol every every coastal region of the entire planet. Um, I think we can usher in, you know, th- to use our economy and use our our ability to speak without having to put boots on ground. I, and I don't think non-interventionalism means that we just watch genocide happen. There are other ways to quote unquote, intervene with things, but it's, it doesn't have to be at the federal level. We have, you know, the red cross, the, the American, uh, Americans donate more money to charity than any other nation in the world. The red cross is a lot of good and a lot of really bad nations that I would never want to see the U S military be involved in. Um, mostly because the US the US government as a whole just sucks at everything they do um and the idea that they should we then I shouldn't say we the government itself should be getting involved is a poor idea um so what we what we should look forward to doing is using our uh, our economy to promote these ideas of like hey you know if you're free and you stop oppressing people this is what kind of wealth you can amass for your nation and i don't know of a single nation that the united states has provided freedom quote-unquote freedom to that wasn't already free before its invasion um now if you look at all of europe you know before and after world war ii all the nations that we liberated and quote-unquote gave freedom to they were already free before we got there it's just they became unfree when the germans got there and once again the germans invaded because of hitler and the reason Hitler came, became popular was because of the, um, the immense debt that the United States and the other world leaders placed on Germany after World War I. And then the reason the Japanese hated us during World War II is because we shunned them from the table at the end of World War I. So once again, it was our direct government involvement in these things that caused problems in other nations we can speak, we can say, Hey, look, you know, these are bad things. We do not promote this as free people, but any direct involvement, like doing anything directly to stop anything has never benefited anybody. Not once, even, even the genocide in uh, Somalia, we, we were in Somalia for what eight months, 18 months, something like that. And the, the, millions and millions of dollars of weapons that we left behind were then taken and used against those people so the the idea that we have to be involved in any way just it doesn't work it's never worked the united states has never provided freedom to anyone except for the rich cronies and and corporations and the cronies in dc that's the only people it's given real ultimate freedom to because you want to talk about like unalienable freedom be worth millions of billions of dollars. You can literally build a spaceship and go to whatever planet you want to. That's freedom that the United States is providing right now with the government that we have. What we should be looking to do is providing that level of freedom to every individual American, not just the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk that can go to Mars as soon as we skull fuck this planet into oblivion because of corporatism, but the ability for all Americans to be free at the base level and provide that freedom to anyone who wants it. Give them the framework. Show them how to be free. Don't show you know cops beating people to death in the streets. Show people how to be free. That's the best way to provide freedom. Lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. And right now, we need to start doing a lot more leading and a lot less uh, following because we're. I don't even know who we'd be following. We're the last bastion of freedom on the planet. True unbridled freedom. We're the only nation with negative rights, and we have to start leading this charge for freedom. Give people the blueprints. Give people the manual. And it's right here that this is a pocket-sized Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and amendments. This right here should have been our framework. This should be the guide and the roadmap that people need. That's all they need, and we lead and that's how we free the rest of the world.
2: Yes.
3: Cajun, what do you say? So what is non-interventionism? And uh, I guess the easiest way for me to put this would be not to intervene in hostile foreign affairs that aren't a direct defense to our nation. Right? If it's uh, if it's not indirect defense of americans in conus then there is no reason that our military should intervene into hostile territory now if we want to bleed off into the argument and talk and debate about genocide there's multiple options on the table one of which for our pro-war friends would be you don't even have to step foot in the country anymore man they can launch drone strikes and wipe out entire militaries from miami florida and so and then you could just leave it and let the people of the country figure out where to go from there I'm not saying that that's my answer to that. I'm saying that's an answer without putting boots on the ground in in foreign countries where we have no business being that are not directly hostile to American citizens right here in this country. And you are not going to find that really. There is no country on on earth that could just walk right into this country and try to take it over. So you're going to be hard pressed to try to find a reason to put boots on the ground in any area that is hostile. Now we have bases all over the world, right? Where uh, we, 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 have uh, open exchange and in, in commerce with their countries and we're helping build their economies and there's no high, there's no real hostile threat to our American troops there. So you know, I, I don't see a huge price. It's not like you're going to reverse that tomorrow. That's not going to happen. Those bases are gonna, still going to be there. So that's, to me, that's not a conversation to be had. We can still have that commerce with those countries, with our bases in their countries. There's no hostile threat, but when we're going and actively creating extremists and enemies in foreign countries, where we sold them the weapon, the whole discussion about well, where are the weapons of mass destruction, in Iraq, we would they were there. We sold them to them. We know they were there. Where they're at now, I don't know, but we know that we're there because we gave them to them. So we should have never been there in the first place. We armed the very enemies. We trained the very enemies. We're still doing it today. As we're leaving Afghanistan, we're still training terrorists. We're still training enemies. We're creating extremists. We're creating hostile actors in foreign countries by direct foreign intervention in affairs that we needed not be in the first place. Again, if you're talking about somebody like uh, Saddam Hussein with mass graves of women and children, 3,000, pl- you could you could walk in there and walk right back out. We're America. I'm not advocating for that. I'm saying it's a possibility. But the fact that we stayed there for decades shows that the... the, the um, the intention there was never actually to be honorable. The intention there was not to defend people that couldn't defend themselves. The intention was Absolutely to gain resources from that country and we could capitalize upon those resources and just create more war, create more uh, contracts, global contracts around the earth to, uh, to 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 feed off of and to make money. It's all it's all about the money. So foreign interventionism, when it comes down to what we we have, we have one, one obligatory duty as a U.S. military that is to protect the United States of America and its citizens. And we're more armed than they are. So there's no reason we should be intervening in foreign wars of hostile territory just because of what, whatever they put across the TV. And then the people eat it up. Let's be honest. It, whatever excuse they give you, the people are going to say, yes, let's do that. Right. Because they, that make, like David said earlier, a lot of people still feel comfort in the safety that it's not real safety. It's false sense of security because we're creating the very enemies that we're telling people that we're going to defend against but the fact of the matter is there is not a country on this there's not a military on this planet that's going to step foot in this country and try to handle this smoke that would come to them not one so what are we doing i love it i love
1: all of your passion uh that's why we have the four of you on i just wanted to uh take a moment real quick before spike lights us the hell up and um Tell you guys follow every single one of these guys. They are amazing. Uh Pardon Will is the name of David's podcast. It is podcast only. Um, no video. And then you guys obviously know Noelle and Spike and uh bootleg. Sean.
2: Yeah, thank you. Spike, I have a feeling that you we have would- some strong opinions on this topic. Let's let's hear what those might be.
4: You're muted, Spike.
1: Spike, you're muted.
4: It's so far. He burnt his mic. No, I was <laughs> saying I'm
0: kind. Of, I could go either way with it, honestly. Like you know, this is kind of like I have. I, I've so uh, here's the thing. First of all, let me preface all this by saying, you know how we talk about that government agencies are terrible at what they do. So, you know, health and human services, the CDC, the FDA, the Department of Education, um, uh, housing and urban development, uh, the Border Patrol and ICE, Department of Homeland Security. These are all like they do terrible job. They they waste a bunch of money. They usually make whatever thing they were supposed to make better worse. At the very least, they don't help, and they waste a bunch of money in the process. That's also true of the Pentagon. And it's interesting because we often, for a myriad of reasons, first of all, we are raised on jingoism from a very, very early age. We are told that, you know, the military is what protects us that, that we're safe because of the military and and it certainly it's you know it's in the constitution that, that we're supposed to actually we're not supposed to have a standing military but in, in the case of being you know at threat that the, the government has the power to you know to call the military to protect us um and so and you know all it just constant this constant feeding of this idea behind you know because we love our loved ones who are in the military then we have to love the military well i'm sure i have loved ones that are in all sorts of federal agencies that i don't support that actual agency or what their their mission is or what they're doing I don't agree with the founders on, on many different things. Certainly the biggest thing I disagree with them on, besides many of them had slaves, is the fact that they uh, replaced, after these, uh, the revolution, they replaced the Articles of Confederation, which was an actual good faith uh, attempt to have a limited government, and they illegally replaced it with the Constitution, which was an act of treason against the American government. Anyway, we're past that now. It's already, that's now the law of the land. What I do agree with them on overwhelmingly was that we should be non-interventionist and shouldn't even we should even have a discussion about whether or not we even need a standing military. And here's why. When government has a thing, they come up with reasons to use it and to expand it. We see that with everything. What's the popular phrase? There's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Well, that's true of the military, too. That's true of these wars that were just for one purpose, too. When you give them power to create a world, to create a fighting force that they get to set the rules for when it's used, it's always going to be used and it's always going to be expanded and it's always going to bring in more people and it's Always going to feed more and more of this cultural idea that it's a good idea to join up and protect our country and protect our freedoms, which for some reason are in Afghanistan and Iraq and now Yemen and all these other countries. Now, the common refrain that I hear, the two biggest responses that I hear when I talk about the fact that the U.S. government, at the very least, if it has a standing military, should have it. Here, making sure that we are protected and that we possibly need to consider, does anyone actually want to go to war with 100 million gun owners and lose their biggest trading partner at the same time? Does anyone really, really, really want that? Is there anyone who could even try to do that, much less want to do it? The two common refrains I get are, but what about Pearl Harbor? And of course, but what about the Holocaust? And and usually because I'm Jewish, but you're Jewish. What about the Holocaust? Let's talk about those things. Again, as uh, Chris had mentioned, both those things, World War II was an extension of World War I. In fact, the Cold War was an extension of World War I, where a single leader of a single country was killed by a Serbian guy on my birthday, June 28th. It's funny. Uh, and he was killed. And then guess what? Everyone went to war because this country had an alliance with this country and this country had an alliance with this country and this country had an alliance with this country and this country, blah, 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 blah. blah. And now everyone's at war. We called it a world war, which shows just how Eurocentric we were back then. It was Europe was at war and the Ottoman empire, Europe and the Ottoman empire were at war basically. And the United States, Woodrow Wilson was nipping at the bit to be able to get into this thing. He wanted it so bad. A lot of people forget that we lost more American service people. We lost more young men in World War I than we did in World War II. And for what? Because it wasn't the Nazis back then, it was the Austro Hungarian Empire and the Ottoman Empire versus the British Empire and the French Empire and the American Empire. Okay. Well, great. Now our side won. Wonderful. Fantastic. The debt that came from that. Not to mention, by the way, all the entire mess in the Middle East is because of the Sykes Picot Agreement, where the British and French sat down and carved up the entire Middle East, started shoving people that weren't even, hadn't lived there in years. And yes, I'm talking about the Jews, started shoving people in there because they didn't want them in their countries and created that whole mess there, right? There were Jews that were living in what was called Palestine at the time during the Ottoman Empire. No problem whatsoever. Okay. They were coming there. They were buying a piece of land. They were living with them among the Arabs and the Druids and the Bedouins and everything else. They're nothing perfectly fine. No problems whatsoever. And then here comes Europe carving it up into, into artificial countries that no one there wanted and 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 dividing tribes and handing off uh, land to the, the tribes that were the most loyal to them, who are now the people running the country or the region, the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Emiratis, and everyone else get crap oh, the jordanians the hashemite crown everyone else gets crapped on okay now back to europe so the uh debt that came from that put your Euro- germany in such a terrible situation that coupled with uh the uh with the great depression which wasn't just happening here it was a global depression which by the way was triggered by central banks that were central banks and tariffs people that were uh, uh trade wars and it destroyed the economy so As a result of that, now what happens is Germany wants blood and they need, what do they need? They need a scapegoat and they need a strongman. They got it. Their scapegoat was the Jews and their strongman was Hitler. Now, you can say that's all fine and good, but what happens? Let's say, you know, you become president in the 1930s when all this stuff's starting to pop off. You can't go back in time and kill baby Woodrow Wilson like you promised to do when you were running for vice president. So now what are you going to do? Okay, great. Uh, Let's look at what happened there. Let's talk about Pearl Harbor first. Do you think that Ch- that Japan said, "Hey, you know America, fuck them, let's go fight them"? No. What happened was that the U.S. government was engaging in two things: the Lend-Lease plan that was allow that was where the U.S. government was uh, giving equipment, lending equipment and money to the British to fight against the uh Germans and also to fight against uh the Japanese and to a lesser extent the Italians but the Japanese mostly in the Germans in the Pacific and in and in uh and in Europe uh and also we were engaging in blockades and uh and uh embargoes and sanctions against Japan and uh they, couldn't operate without being able to have access to rubber and gas and oil and all the all the things that they needed and metal and stuff like that. And so the US government provoked that. And there's some suggestions and some uh, reports that the Uh, that they actually had intelligence and they actually had signals intelligence that the Japanese were there and they sat on it because they wanted that big attack to happen so they could say, we need to get into this war. But let's say it wasn't, let's say they didn't know. That was triggered by them. You go, okay, fine. Okay, great. Pearl Harbor, fine. The Holocaust, 6 million dead Jews, something like 8 million dead Jews. Uh, Gentiles killed in concentration camps and rounded up and murdered and all the subjugation that happened there. You would just sit there and let that happen to them. No, I'd have let them come here instead of turning away the boats. Hitler wanted them out of the country, especially the Jews. Now, I'm not saying Hitler was a good guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying that if for no other reason than cost effectiveness, he would have rather just kicked him out and sent him somewhere else and tried to than to have to now round him up and kill them and use all the resources for that. He was putting them in work camps, but he, before that and even during that, he was sending some off as a pilot to see, well, will you take these Jews? We don't want them. Do you want them? There was a boat called the uh, USS St. Louis, I believe, and it was filled with Jews who were being sent there by, they They left to come to the United States and they were kept in, I don't remember if it was Cuba or Puerto Rico or in Florida, they were harbored there and they uh, they were told they, they'd be able to get there and FDR turned them away. Do you know why he turned them away? He said, well, there might be some Nazis among them. We can't trust them. The Jews and they were sent back, and many of them died in the Holocaust. I think most of them died in the Holocaust. Now, imagine being on a boat, and you're there for weeks, days, weeks, however long it took, and you're thinking, I'm so glad to be out of there. I'm so glad. I've heard such great things about America. Some of them had been to America before. We're finally going to be free, and they get here, and they're stuck there for days, and then they're told, no, you're going back, and they're going to probably kill you, and they did. And that didn't just happen in the U.S. It happened in the U.K. It happened in other countries as well, where they were sent. And those countries, we don't want Jews. Are you kidding me? The whole, the whole Zionism thing—the whole sending Jews to 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 what was at the up until that point Palestine—was to just get rid of the Jews. Like we're not going to round them up and kill them, but we don't certainly don't want them here. So, no, at no point was war necessary. Imagine if we instead we had said, "Hey, we'll take those Jews." and the the Roma gypsies the homosexuals the 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 degenerates the Catholics the 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 Russia whoever else you're rounding up we'll take them yeah send them here we're, we're good let's do it let's 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 we'll take them all we could have done that and and in the midst of the of the uh what's happening in Japan we could have stayed the hell out of that or we could have talked to them about what they were doing again not as provocateurs and not as people that were helping their enemy but just as an uninterested third party and be like hey this thing that you're doing in nanking this stuff that you're doing this there's you know that's unacceptable and, and, and we're going to let american people know what's happening there and we're not going to want to trade with you and that's not going to go well um and you know if there are people there that you don't want there maybe send them over here right There are ways to handle this. Would it be perfect? Would there never be a genocide again? Would people never die again? That things are going to happen. There are going to be people that die. There are going to be people that get rounded up and killed. It's happening right now. In fact, right now, the biggest one is being funded by the US military with the help of the Saudi government and Al Qaeda. So yeah, no, it's always going to happen. But the idea that we need to keep a standing army who is going to come up with a reason to keep itself going and prop along this gigantic military industrial complex on the off chance that it might inadvertently help someone in the process, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Not when its use is what leads to these things. Because again, had we not gotten involved in World War One, had we instead been like, guys, a person was killed. A person, and I think it's fan, like a leader was killed. Why is the entire world fighting over this? Maybe cooler heads could have, could have prevailed and none of this would have happened, or at least not as bad as it did happen. So that's what I have to say about that. Thank you for
1: that, Spike. Uh, Chris? Um, I wanted to thank each and every one of you for coming on. I had this idea several months ago. I never thought I'd actually be doing it, but I really, really think our community needs this. Um, Thanks, David, for being the odd man out. Um, I'm going to let all of you guys go because we are 30 minutes over time and Chris totally called it.
2: Yeah, and I just wanted, uh, again, to thank everyone and uh, mention that Muddy Waters of Freedom will be on tomorrow night on Muddy Waters with Spike and Matt Wright. And uh, until next time, be free, everyone.
5: Thanks, guys.